Morning. How are you guys doing this morning? I want to welcome you. If this is your first time to Neartown Church, welcome. Uh, we are glad you are here with us. If you can fill out your communication card on your seat. Um, also, if you are not here for the first time, I want to welcome you. And, and I want to say how thankful I am for you for, for being a part of this community. Uh, and I'm thankful for, for each the first time visitor and also um, the members of, these, of this church. Um, look to your neighbor real quick and just say, uh, you look good today. Now, now look to your other neighbor, who was obviously your second choice, and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. Forgive me, right? Well, this morning, uh, our topic this morning is about forgiveness. And, uh, and I had this topic on my heart the past couple of weeks as I'm preparing for 2015, and I'm probably a bit behind, and I probably should stop preparing for 2015, right? But, but I think many of us are. And we just went through a message of, of putting Jesus first, and that results probably in, in most um, certainly in the best year yet in our lives But one thing I started realizing as I'm reflecting upon my life and if I want 2015 to be the best year yet, I realized I have to let go the things of 2014 that maybe are a burden on me. Maybe the hurt or the pain that I'm bringing on my shoulders of 2014 or maybe 2013 or 2012. And maybe you're in the same boat. Maybe you reflect and realize I'm carrying some things from some years ago and I need to let go. And so this morning we're going to be, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to be talking about forgiveness. And there's a quote that I found as I'm preparing for the sermon that says, To forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner was actually you. So as I, I'm, I'm preparing for this message, I'm studying about what forgiveness looks like in my life, what it looks like to forgive someone else, what it looks like for Jesus to have paid my debt. I, I realize there's a lot of uh, current events that are happening around the world. And there's one that just stuck out to me that was just confirmation of, all right, God, th- this is forgiveness is a big deal. Like, I think it's something that we need to face today before the years go on. And so if you guys can put the slide real quick, this is a current event that uh, came to mind about forgiveness. And so if you are not a a sport fanatic, you would know uh, or you wouldn't know that the Patriots who will be playing in today's Super Bowl are accused of deflating some balls in in their past game um, a week or two weeks ago against the Packers. And the Packer fans, you you guys can take it off now, but the Packer fans seem to be bitter about it, right? And maybe some of us laugh at them like such as I do, you know, like it's just a game, deflated ball, they're professional, right? Does it actually even matter? But the fans of the opposite team care, right? And, and they might be a bit mad about the Patriots maybe actually doing this. Maybe it was Tom Brady, uh, whatever it was. But maybe if it was against the Texans instead of the Packers, maybe some of this crowd would actually not have liked that joke, right? We would have been like, no, we, we hate Patriots. We want them to lose. And maybe some of you do this morning. Go Seahawks. Uh, but this is the current event that, that really stuck out to me. And obviously, I'm just joking. But But forgiveness is something that I realize as I'm starting out this year that that I need to look and reflect upon my life. And so this morning, one of the first questions I want to ask you is, what is your favorite kind of movie? And so maybe, maybe you have a movie 
that, that just comes to mind and maybe it just makes you cry. You know, one of the funny things about my parents is that they have those favorite movies between themselves. And they have actually a favorite movie that is one of the most sad movies I've ever seen, but they think it's hilarious. Uh, and that movie is, is Cast Away. And, and I, remember, I remember when my girlfriend first met my family, uh, they're talking about this. And I'm like, why are they talking about Cast Away being funny? Like, my family looks horrible right now, right? Like, they're talking about a man being alone in the island, no family talking to Wilson, his volleyball, right? Like, how is that funny? Like, I can kind of see it, but the movie is not funny. Like, no, Mom, stop laughing. You know, you've been laughing for 20 minutes now. But I would say one of my favorite movies is a movie that was actually based on a novel by Nicholas Sparks. And maybe you know what movie I'm talking about. This movie is about a a, a young man named Noah Calhoun and a, a lady named Allie Hamilton. And this couple, I believe, is set in the 1940s or 50s, and they meet, and it's based in South Carolina. They fall in love throughout the summer. Basically, parents don't like the guy. They say, we don't want you to see our daughter. The daughter is told, we don't want you to see our, or to see our daughter anymore. And so what happens is that they're, they, they've fallen in love, and then Allie and her family move to a different city. And so, and so now Noah, he's, he's sad. He's sad that he can't see the love of his life anymore. He's sending her letters that, that her mom, um, that Allie's mom actually isn't giving her because she just hates Noah. So she's like, I'm not going to tell her about these letters. And maybe you know this story, but, but as it goes on, Noah goes to World War II. Yeah, Allie finds someone else. She, she gets engaged to him. But at the end of the story, Noah does something awesome. When they were first together, he promised her a dream home. And, and some of you might know this movie or maybe know the book, The Notebook, right? But, but he promises her this dream home and says, I will rebuild this home for you, right? And so what Noah does, once he comes back, he finds out she's engaged with another man. He says, I'm going to build this dream home and maybe she'll come back to me, right? And so he does and he, he takes his time and his work to, and um, effort into this home and he builds it exactly like he told her. She sees it in the newspaper and just runs to him, basically. Runs back, remembers how much she loved him, the love that they had for each other. And at the end, uh, the mom basically, even, even the mom supports Sally and says, you know what? Yeah, go for Noah, right? But it's a beautiful story of how the, these two just end up coming back to, together. In the midst of the situation, in the midst of all uh, the stress of it, she thought he had just moved on. He thought, well, she's just reading my letters and ignoring me, Right? but they end up back together. It's a beautiful story, a reconciliation, right? And I just want to let you know that this is actually not my favorite movie. Um, If anything, I make make fun of people for this movie. I've probably spent the past decade making fun of my sister about this movie. So I think at one point I hid it from her just because I was tired of watching it. So, um, but we love the idea of reconciliation, right? We love seeing movies where maybe the couple is restored. Maybe we see a family that is broken and they're restored. Maybe we see friendships that are broken at the beginning of the movie, but in the end they come back together and they're best friends again, right? The best three friends that could ever been that could ever have been around, right? So practicing reconciliation and forgiveness is much harder than just loving it, loving the idea, seeing it in movies. And so I have some examples for you guys, and they're just simple examples of maybe times where it's hard for you 
to be gentle and forgiving to someone else. One of those examples is that hey, maybe it gets on your nerves when drivers don't use a turn signal. Hey, raise your hand if that's you. All right, some of you are going to heaven. Thank you for being honest. <laughs> maybe, maybe for some of you, it, it annoys you when you see people who drink directly out of the juice container or the milk container, right? Which is actually me, so don't be my roommate. <laughs> or or maybe, maybe it gets on your nerves when your spouse or your roommate uses like the butter to put on their toes, but they leave crumbs all over the container. You just know it. Man, Greg, he just, he left, you know, or John or Billy, he just, he left the crumbs all over my container, right? And I bought it. But more seriously, maybe someone broke your trust. Maybe there's a friendship that you used to love so much. Maybe it was a best friend and you no longer speak to them because trust was broken. Maybe in your marriage, there, there's been a fight that, that it's just hard for you to think, how can I forgive that person? Maybe in your work um, environment, there's a coworker that has lied about you, maybe lied to you, maybe your own boss. So there are clear examples in our lives that we need to be able to forgive and let go. And so I ask you this morning, is forgiveness happening in your life? Is it happening in your friendships? Is it happening in your family, in your church, in your relationships? So as a culture, we crave forgiveness in community, but are we willing to count the cost for it? I believe in this generation, we are so deep, yet we are so shallow. We crave community so much. You see Facebook groups for the, almost every little bit, you know, group that you could ever think of in Houston community. You know, we can, we can see, and it's evidence that we all seek community, but are we willing to count the cost for it? We just like the thought is what I believe. So forgiveness comes from who you are. Few things reveal your spiritual condition, such as how you deal with forgiveness. Are we open to forgiveness? Are you open to forgiveness? Before we jump into the Bible and read what forgiveness looks like, what it means, what it looks like for, for Jesus to have paid our debts. I, w- I want to show you a quick video of some of my mentors that, that I seek advice from every, every week if I, or once a, once a month, whatever my uh, timetable looks like. But I try to seek wisdom from them. And, and I, made a, or I found a video of my mentors talking about what forgiveness means or what it looks like. So if you guys can Why do we show that video forgive? real quick. If there wasn't forgiveness in the world... God won't even forgive us. Forgiveness is like giving somebody a second chance. And God always wants us to give us second chances to other people. Because otherwise, if we didn't forgive, we might lose all our friends. Because we would just say, I'm not your friend. You're not my friend anymore. You did something wrong. You messed up my stuff. But then everybody would have no friends except imaginary friends. I, I, love, I love that last kid, right? It, I think we laugh because it's, it's cute, yet we know it's so true, right? If you do not forgive, you'll probably end up with no friends, only imaginary friends, right? We don't want to be that guy. And so, and so the main idea of the sermon this morning, if you're writing notes, is that a heart that is open to forgive reveals you have an open heart to God. 
So here in this passage where we're going to start reading, we were at a point where Jesus had just told a story about someone who had wronged another person. And Peter is now shifting the mood, and he's saying, I'm not so concerned now about the wronged one, the one who was wrong in the wrong. But Jesus, I have a question. I kind of want to know about the person who was wronged. Uh, Maybe you don't need correction this morning, but but you're struggling with forgiveness. In verse 21, Peter says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Imagine that, seven times. Why, Why did Peter aim so low? So the response Jesus has to Peter is, is no, not seven times, but how many times did Jesus say? 77 times seven it was, is what Jesus is saying. So maybe you're thinking, Peter, why did you aim so low, man? Seven times, don't you know you're talking to Jesus, the, the most forgiving guy of all time? You can steal his M&Ms every day and he would still forgive you, right? Why did you aim so low? You know, my understanding of this is that, that Peter was trying to show Jesus next level forgiveness. Basically, my translation to the GIV, the Giovanni International Version, would say, you know, Jesus, let me show you next level forgiveness. What if you forgave someone seven times? And I just imagine the disciples going, wow, what the? No, he didn't just say seven times, right? And I can imagine Peter just being proud of that, like, I know the rabbis usually, you know, they teach three strikes, you're out. So I'm going to multiply that by two. And I know seven's a holy number, so I'm just going to add one. Seven times, right? Like I know that's the perfect amount of times to forgive someone. But what does Jesus say? And we just said it. Jesus says, no, 77 times seven. But, but we, even before we look at that number, I just want you right now to imagine forgiving someone seven times. Maybe forgiving that friend that is lying to you, that has lied to you. Maybe the people lying about you. Just imagine forgiving them seven times. And what Jesus says is astounding. Basically, he's telling us that he wants us to be a people of unimaginable forgiveness. A forgiveness without end. Jesus says, I would say, 77 times seven. So we're going to read into this passage starting in verse uh, 23. And this is a story that Jesus tells Peter to explain what forgiveness looks like. We're going to pick up in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in the prison until he should pay the debt. 
When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had the same mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So real quick, let's, let's break this passage down. Basically, the, the king is calling all servants and saying, everyone that has a debt, come forth, pay your debt, pay what you owe me. There's a specific servant that comes up, right, in this, in this story, in this parable. And then the servant, and the king tells the servant, you need to make a payment. And this payment that he owed, it said about 10,000 talents. That would have been years and years and years of labor. I'm talking about thousands of years of labor. So Jesus is trying to make a point here. And so what the servant does, he pleads to the king, and the king has pity on him and forgives his debt. But what follows after that, the servant sees one of his own, one of his fellow servants out in the street that owes him money as well. Not as much as he owed the king, but that still owed him money. And he starts strangling him. Imagine that. Imagine someone forgiving you and you responding by strangling someone that did the same to you and the same forgiveness that was just given to you. So this is what the servant does. He, strang- he strangles this fellow servant and he says, give me the money you owe. And he throws him in jail. And there's people that see this, that witness this, and they tell the king. And the king is saddened. The king is disappointed. And so wh- what's Jesus communicating in this story? I believe Jesus is trying to tell us why forgiveness matters. Why it's such a big issue. So he's telling us forgiveness without end. That's the type of lifestyle I want you to live. When they see us as Christians, when they see you as a Christian, people should think that is a person that lives forgiveness without end. And he's telling the story to drive the point. But why did the servant get tossed in jail? Maybe you're asking yourself that at the end of the story. He was forgiven. He did not forgive his fellow servant, so he got thrown in jail. His debt was basically back on his shoulders. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, if I don't forgive, do I go to hell? If this is true, why do we celebrate Christmas? Why do we celebrate Jesus' coming? So Jesus is trying to tell us that forgiveness is the evidence of faith. If that doesn't make sense, let me give you an illustration. Imagine there's two trees. There's one that has fruit on it. There's one that doesn't. The one that has fruit on it, 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 the fruit is not giving the tree life. The fruit is evidence that the tree has life, correct? So, so this is what Jesus is telling us. He's telling us that forgiving others does not give you life. It shows you have life. So again, our open hearts to others show we have open heart to God. So as we look into the story, notice the size of the debt. 10,000 talents is what he owed the king. 
The servant, maybe you look at servant, maybe you think this guy was a slave. Actually, if, if you look into it, he would have been more of a government official. He would have actually been given a budget. He would have been given some money to, to work with. But what did he do? He created a debt. And the only answer to this debt was that he had to have long, give long life servitude for himself and the family. They had to go into long life servitude. That was the only answer to a debt this size. And the king, he wasn't vindictive, but rather he was disappointed. And knowing there's an enormous debt, what did the king do? He paid the debt. It's not that the debt just randomly vanished. He said, I'm going to clear it. It's, it's no longer there. No, he paid it himself. Imagine if, if you called, if I called my phone carrier Sprint and said, hey Sprint, I know I owe $800, but just let it go, man. Just let it go. Just, just pay it for me, right? So either I would have to pay those $800 or Sprint would, which is very unlikely, right? I'm sure we all know. And they would just say, no, I'm not just going to let it go, bro. And, and maybe that doesn't move you, but what if someone paid off your car? What if someone paid off your home mortgage or your school loans? The king absorbed the debt. And this should have opened the heart of the servant, right, to others. It should have melted his heart. It, sh- it should have reshaped his heart. It should have changed how he treated others. But he wasn't. And it's not even a fact that he found a servant lower than him. You know, there's a king speaking to him. He was speaking to one of his own, eye level, fellow to fellow. And it shows that close heart to others reveals we have a close heart to God. Another thing we notice in this story, or that you might notice, is that the servant never asks for mercy. What does the servant ask for? He asks for time. This is such a religious response. It shows that he is so unaware of his debt that he thinks he can still carry and pay that debt on his own if he's just given time. But when you see sin for sin and God for who he is, you see you need mercy. When you close your heart, to forgiving others, you reduce them. You reduce them to wrongdoings. You see people for what they did or didn't do to you. Now you're the person that hurt me. You're the person that lied to me. You're the person that hurt so-and-so. You're that person. And then what follows is the servant is forgiven, but then he sees a fellow servant once again and he owes him money, and, he, and he's demanding payment. But what's, the, what's this fellow servant do? He says the exact same thing, right, that this servant told the king. Give me time. I will pay you. And notice that the servant throws this guy into jail because he owes him money and is not going to pay him, basically. He throws him into prison, a prison that did not belong to him, a prison that belonged to the king. God made this world, not us, not you. And sometimes we take grace, sometimes we take everything we've been giving from God and we use it against those who have wronged us. In the end, the servant doesn't just ask for mercy again. He's given basically a second chance 
to ask for mercy. But all he's thinking about is this payment. And I can promise you that I'll pay it. Just give me time. And so the king basically responds, if you have the mentality of thinking that you can pay your own debt, I'll make you pay your own debt. So I'm going to throw you into prison. So to close ourselves off, we are going into eternal judgment. Maybe this, for some of us, this starts with bitterness. Maybe it starts for, with anger towards someone. We are enslaved to someone that has hurt us. And maybe we're even trying to attempt to enslave others. And let me tell you this morning that when you begin to hate someone, you are definitely enslaved to them. I know, I, I know there's many opportunities where that one person that, have, that has hurt us shows up in the room and maybe we feel bitter. Maybe we feel angry. Maybe we don't say it with our words, but we feel it in our heart. Maybe that coworker sends us an email and all we can, uh, can't stop thinking about is how much that person has hurt us. And you might be Christian, but you are blocking Christ's work in you if you haven't truly received God's forgiveness and if you don't forgive others. So how do we respond? If you're writing notes, there's two ways we respond to how to forgive. The first step is that, one, we need to receive forgiveness, first of all. So what are your debts? I ask you this morning, what are your debts? What would your debts be? And how would you pay that debt? I'll tell you this morning that Jesus Christ, King of Kings, has paid your debts. You have to understand the idea that you are a sinner. You have a debt, but that you have been forgiven. And if you understand forgiveness and the way you've been forgiven by the king, you'll know and you'll see and you'll understand how to forgive like the king. And that's our second point of how to respond. We forgive like the king, with compassion, with absorbing the debt, with setting those people that have hurt us, setting them free. So we identify with them. We put ourselves in their shoes and have compassion upon them. And we absorb the debt, not because we're telling everyone, you have permission to walk all over me, but because we see that forgiveness is not a reward, it's a gift. And you set them free by stopping the replaying of the wrongs in your mind and in your heart. Don't be a backhanded forgiver. Don't be that person that says, I forgive you, but the next day you're just thinking, how did you hurt me so bad? I can't stop thinking about how much you lied to me. I can't stop thinking about how much you hurt me. Yet I'm telling you, it's okay. I forgive you. So don't be a backhanded forgiver. Have compassion. Learn to absorb the debt and set those people free. I have an illustration to close out the sermon. And I want you to think as I'm telling this illustration, what would you do? Would you forgive this person? A couple years ago, there was a firefighter named Matt Swatzel. And Matt Swatzel was, was ending his shift for, for, for being a firefighter, and he's driving home. And as he's driving home, he falls asleep and crashes into another vehicle. Unfortunately, in the other vehicle, there is a pregnant mother and a 19-month-old daughter of hers. 
The mother died. Um, the daughter didn't, but she, she definitely was injured. So just think about that. There's this guy that is supposed to be seen as honorable, as a hero of the community for being a firefighter, just fell asleep. That's all he did. He just fell asleep. And the consequence of this is that, that there was a murder. Someone died. What, what, the, what the husband of, of this mother did was amazing. He actually happens to be a full-time pastor. And in court, he actually asked, he asked for the man's sentence to be diminished. And what followed is that he began to meet with this Matt Swatzel guy. He begins to disciple him. He begins to have coffee with him. He begins to do a life with him. And if you look up this story, one thing, one quote that you'll see that Fitzgerald, the husband of this mother, says, is that you forgive as you've been forgiven. So this morning I ask you, what would you do? Would you forgive? Some of us maybe have been hurt in, in, in capacities of this manner. Maybe some of us have been hurt in capacities that don't even come close to the story. Yet we struggle with forgiving. And forgiveness, just real quick, I don't want you to think that it's saying that whatever was done to you wasn't bad. But it's choosing that it was bad, knowing that it was bad, knowing that you were hurt, but absorbing the debt and setting them free. How? This only happens when you know you have been forgiven by the king, the source of forgiveness. He became a servant. He came onto earth in human form and absorbed our debt. He died on the cross for you and I. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Micah chapter 7 verse 18 and 19 say, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot, and he will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Just think about that. Your sins, by God, are thrown into the deeps of the sea. So as we head into communion, as the band comes up, we remember that the broken body of Jesus, who prayed to the Father, Father, forgive them. And that he's saying, Father, forgive them. He's talking about the people that at the same table were seated next to him. We're going to lie to him. We're going to deny him. We're going to give up his position and betray him. Those are the people he's talking about. And he says, Father, forgive them. So who do you need to love today? Who do you need to forgive today? Remember that a heart that is open to forgive reveals that you have an open heart to God.